we talked about the one who had five talents went out and gained five more. The one who had two talents went out and gained two more. The one who had one went and buried his in the ground, and it produced absolutely nothing. I want to explain to you the extremeness of this parable. A lot of people read this parable in the American society, and we read it, it's like, oh, a dude gave his people some money, and they should have made it double, and whatever. Let me explain to you the, the depth of this what this master did in the culture that they lived when uh, when when a master would leave he would entrust his property unto the servants the main ones who could he entrust the vision and the, and the the life of his property to and so when he did this he gave one servant five talents another servant uh, two talents and the last servant one talent now listen a talent a single talent was the equivalent of 20 years wages he didn't give him 10 bucks and say go make me some money to the guy he gave one talent he said i'm giving you the equivalent of 20 years wages for you to go and you to be responsible for to the other guy who gave two talents i am giving you the equivalent of 40 years wages go and make some money for me to the last guy i am giving you the equivalent of 100 years wages go and make some money now if somebody wrote you a check right now for 100 years of your current salary how many of you'd be kind of excited i mean i'd be doing a little bit of a happy dance most of y'all are saying i'd quit my job i'd go get a beach house in fiji okay maybe that's me and that's the exact problem. Most of us would quit exactly what we're doing instead of learning to steward over it. We'd go spend it all. I would have no problem spending 20 years wages in about a month. <laughs> Let me put this into perspective. The average income of an American citizen is $37,000. The Northeast Texas average income is about $32,000, give or take a couple thousand up or down. We're just going to use $32,000. So if one talent was given to the man, it's like a guy came to him and living in the Northeast Texas region and said, I am giving you, Jeff, a check for $640,000. But you could spend that in a month, couldn't you? I could spend it in way less than a month. I'm just saying. I wouldn't even have to have a house built. I'd just go buy a house. I could spend $640,000 pretty quick. Well, to the man who he gave two talents to, he would give him a check for $1.28 million and said, Johnny, here you go, baby. $1.28 million. Johnny, could that settle a little bit of financial issues if you had any right now? Would that take care of some of it? Maybe a little bit of it, okay? $1.28 million. Woo. So this guy gave a $640,000 check, a $1.28 million check, and to the last guy he gave five talents, he said, here you go, Rusty. Here is a $3.2 million check. And Rusty says, the price is right, baby. Come on. <laughs> And life is good. So he gave a $1.28 million check, a $3.2 million check, a $640,000 check. And the guy said, the parable says, and he divided his property among these three servants according to their abilities. And as he divided the $640,000, the $1.28 million, and the $3.2 million, the servants knew exactly what it meant to be entrusted with their master's property. And what that meant is you do not leave it where it is at. When he comes back, it must be returned unto him better than what it was because you don't understand the covenant that they were in is the jewish people says listen this is an everlasting covenant you're the head and not the tail you're above and not beneath everything your hand touches prospers you are a blessed generation those who bless you i will bless go through the whole old covenant it talks about all these things so the jewish people even in jesus they knew that they were supposed to be blessed and prosperous and prosper and so when he entrusted these to his servants and then he comes back he comes up to rusty and says rusty i gave you 3.2 million dollars 
And Rusty says, you gave me 3.2, but I'm giving you 6.4 million. Now, come on now, that's a good return. Some of y'all are getting excited about that. You should get excited about that. Because God knows if he can trust you with a little, he can trust you with a lot. Rusty brings the master back 6.4 million dollars. The next guy comes. He says, hey, you gave me 1.28 million dollars. Here is 2.56 million dollars back to you. Now, that's pretty exciting. He comes to the guy who gave, I gave you $640,000. That's still a lot of money. I mean, that is a ton of cash. And the guy says, I freaked out. I was scared. I never seen $640,000 in my life. Y'all, if we're going to put this in perspective, we would be the $640,000 guy. I freaked out. You gave me a check for $640,000, and I just passed out. I mean, I just hit the floor. Mouth dropped. Oh, Jesus, I can't handle I don't know what to do. But the problem is the body of Christ is much like the man who got one talent. If God were to bring a huge influx of money or anything into our life, we'd freak out. What do I do with it? I'd spend it all in two weeks. The master would come back, where's my money? I just don't even have what you have. I spent that on me. Yeah, I don't even have to give back what you gave me. At least this dude was able to give back what he gave him. And so here's the principle of stewardship that we must begin to understand. Stewardship is us being managers and God being the owner. Many times we act like we're owners and we ask God to be the steward. God, go make my money work for me. God, go make my gifts, talents, times, energy, everything else. Go make it work for me. And we think we're the owner and God's the steward. But in fact, the Bible says it's just the opposite. God is the owner and we are the steward. So God's saying, I'm the owner. You go make the money work for me or the time work for me or the, or the, the talent work for me or the abilities work for me or whatever we're talking about. And so when we get the proper perspective of God is the owner, we're the steward, it's our responsibility to bring back something with interest. And now stewardship, it comes from the Greek word okinomia. It's the Greek word, and that's where we get our word from economy. We derive our economy word from that. And this means to manage one's household well. It refers to responsibility that is entrusted to a manager. So if we're going to put a definition on stewardship, and we are the managers of God's everything, not just money, his time, talents, energy, everything like that. If we're the stewards of it, if we're going to be good stewards, here's the definition we must remember. We must be acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for whatever we're talking about. We must be acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for the time God has given us here on this earth. Now, a lot of us aren't acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for the time God has given us here on this earth. Here's why. God, I wish you would just hurry up and get this day over with. Really? The Bible teaches us to number our days and you're wanting your numbers to go quicker. If we should be doing anything, Lord, slow this day down so I can make the most of every second of every day. You must be acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for whatever's in your possession, your time, your energy. You must be acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for the energy that you have. You must be acutely aware of it. Don't spend your energy on stupid stuff. You must be exceedingly grateful for the energy you do have. A lot of us aren't exceedingly grateful for it. We think it's not enough. It's not that you don't have enough energy. It's you've been a bad steward of your energy. And so now you're depending on supplemental sources like Red Bulls and Monsters and... B12 patches and everything else. But because my energy levels have not been stewarded properly, I must get supplemental energy from somewhere. You must be acutely aware of and extremely grateful or exceedingly grateful for whatever it is. You are the steward of your household. I know the kids are holy terrors sometime. You must be acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for not everything that they do, but for them. You must be acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for the, the things you are steward over. 
And if we become acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for the things we have been put over, it will give us a whole different perspective on stewardship in every area of our life. Now, if we're going to be acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for all these things in our life, we must begin to be grateful for the things that we have not been grateful for. We got a mop and a mop bucket up here. I did a lesson on leadership last week, and I said, time we put aside a title and put on a towel. And if we begin to be good stewards of everything that God's given us, on a ship, they have something called, what am I doing? Swabbing the deck. You're cleaning it. You're acutely aware of, exceedingly grateful for the deck you are on when you're out in the middle of the ocean. If you're not, you've got bigger problems. And as you are acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for the deck you are aware of and you're swabbing the deck and you're cleaning, nobody likes mopping. I don't care who you are. Even if you get paid to mop, you don't like mopping. Acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for the things God has put in your hand, under your supervision. What is in my hand? A mop. Joel needs to be acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for what is in his hand. Because what is in your hand when you become acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for will become the stewardship device that God uses in your life to change the world around you. When you become aware of what is in your hand, God will begin to change it to a vessel of stewardship that will change the world. Some of y'all are thinking, how in the world can God change the world with a mop? How can God change the world with a mop? Well, this story is kind of addressed in the Bible, okay? I'm going to read out of Exodus chapter number 4, verses 1 through 5, and then verse 20. And it said, but then the Lord appeared to Moses and says, behold, this is Moses talking to God, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? Now, did y'all catch that? What did I just talk about? What's in my hand? God came to Moses and says, Moses, what's in your hand? What are you steward over? And Moses says this, it's a staff. God, I got a stick in my hand. That's all you've given me to lead these millions of people out of the Egypt land. You give me a stick, stewardship, to be acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for. A staff. And God said, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. He's a smart guy. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, Moses. At least you're proving to God you're a wise man. Amen. You may not like what's in your hand, but at least you're wise. And then the Lord said this, put your hand out and catch it by the tail. I'll be like, God, are you crazy? <laughs> are you kidding me? Grab it by the tail. This is a Damon scripture. This is stuff Damon does, okay? Not in the youth group. He doesn't do it. And he said, grab it by the tail, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand again, that they may believe the Lord their God and their fathers and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, as he has appeared to you. So Moses, this is verse 20, took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. You may not like what's in your hand, but when God touches a stick, it then becomes the staff of God. Whenever you see Moses in the Bible, what does he have? It's the staff of God. We're going to talk about being a steward over what God has put in your hand. God came to Moses and says, Moses, what's in your hand? He said, a stick. And God said, throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground. It became a snake. Grab the snake. Are you kidding me? Okay, I grabbed the snake. And it becomes a staff again. From that point on, it is no longer referred to as Moses' staff. Every place in the Bible is referred to as the staff of God. Because God can put his supernatural anointing on your stick and make it a staff of God. And it can be the very catalyst that will lead a whole nation into revival and change the world you live in. The problem is, we're not exceedingly grateful for the mop in our hand. We want to be somebody else. I want to do what the preacher does, or I want to do what the head usher does, or I want to do what Damon does, or I want to do what the lead guitarist does, or I want to be like Mitch, or I want to be like anybody else. But you don't want to be the guy with the mop. 
But when you become exceedingly grateful for and acutely aware of the mop that's in your hand, God can lead revival through a mop quicker than he can a preacher. Better is one person doing than 50 people preaching. Because if we do not become doers of the word of God, it doesn't matter what God puts in our hand. He could put $6.4 million in our hands. But if we aren't acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for the mop that he has, he knows he can't do something with the $6.4 million. See, everybody says, ooh, $6.4 million. God says just be grateful for the mop. And when you become grateful for the mop, he can do something with the $6.4 million. So let's run through this real quick. Moses was the shepherd. He had to recognize what was in his hands. Moses was a shepherd, so he was always carrying around what was natural to him. I don't expect you to be me, and I hope you don't expect me to be you. I know there are people in this room who are CPAs, and I am so grateful for you. <laughs> Because it's not for me. And I don't even want to be you. I'm just grateful for you. If we don't recognize the gifts, the talents, and abilities that God has put in our hand, we will never be able to be steward over it. Some of you are thinking, well, pastor, the only thing I do is I go in here and I help the kids every Sunday. and I never get recognition. If you would become acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for what God has put in your hand, God will transform the world through you. See, stewardship is not about money. Stewardship is about being acutely aware of everything that is in your possession, everything that's in your house, everything that's in your family, all the heritage and legacy that God has blessed you with. Some of you people in this room, God has blessed you with a great name in this community. And the Bible says a great name is to be more coveted than silver and gold and so you need to begin to use your name to bring glory to the gospel of jesus christ some of you god has given you phenomenal business connections and you are an entrepreneur of entrepreneurs and nothing seems difficult for you you can start a business and it automatically is successful god has given you divine connections not for your benefit but for his kingdom growth we must begin to look at what god has put in our hand and your connections, your influence, your generosity, your workplace, your status, your time, your energy, your efforts, your gifts, your talents, your abilities. They are in your hand and God says, why are you burying them in the dirt? Go and double them. If you had to double what God has put in your hand right now, how many of you would have the skills, talents, time, ability, wisdom, and ability to do it? You got to double it. Everything that's in your hand. Some of y'all will be doubling your debt. <laughs> But if you had to double what was in your hands, how many of y'all could do it? You would have a plan and a purpose. We must become acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for what God has put right here in our hands. God wasn't asking for something Moses didn't have. He was asking for what Moses did have. God is not asking you for something that is unnatural to you. Some of the people in this room, you're sitting here thinking, oh, pastor, if I could just do, I would change the world for Jesus. No, here's the problem. God's not calling you to just do, he's calling you to do what is natural to you. Now listen, what is natural in your life? Some of you guys can bake pies like nobody's business. You can bake pies with the best of them. And you are killing people who like to work out like me. <laughs> but I'm still grateful for you. So, well, pastor, I can bake pies all day, but that ain't gonna win nobody to the kingdom of God. A minute ago, I said, we want to welcome all the first-time visitors here. If you don't have a church home, we'd like to say welcome home. We had about eight people raise their hand. You who bake pies, what if you called the church tomorrow and said, hey, can I have the name of two of those people who visited yesterday? I don't have time to bake eight pies, but I can bake two. I just want to bring them by their house and say, thank you for visiting the Way Bible Church. I appreciate you showing up and being here. See, that's being acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for what's in your hand to advance the kingdom of God. Because you know the biggest thing we hear at the Way Bible Church with elders and staff and, and the, the biggest problem we face right now is people come in, they love the service, but they haven't been able to make a connection quick enough to stay plugged in long enough for God to change their life. You bringing a pie by somebody's house won't just connect them in. It'll plug them in where God can do a transforming life in their life, transforming work in their life, and change the history of the world. Billy Graham, Sunday school teacher who led him to the Lord Jesus Christ, probably didn't think he was a good steward over much. He was a shoe salesman. 
But because he was exceedingly grateful for and acutely aware of what was in his possession, he led Billy Graham to Christ. Not a bad investment. Am I right on that? God is not calling you to do something that is unnatural to you. How many of y'all like to plant gardens and work outside with flower beds and stuff? Lord Jesus, help all y'all. But if you are acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for God's ability in your life to do that, why don't you go find some ragtag house in the community, spend 50 bucks and just say, we're going to plant you a flower bed. Change the world, planting flower beds. How many of y'all crazy people like me just like to work out? I mean, we're still not really good at it. We just like to do it and we're too dumb to quit. We got three of us in here. Good. Here's the thing. That is the best ministry ground I've ever found is at the gym. And literally, I don't really even have to say much because everybody else says it for me. I'll be out there doing something crazy or whatever because we always do crazy stuff. And then, no joke, this couple has joined the church because of this one statement. A guy came up to them after we got done working out and told them who I was. And they're like, he's a preacher? (laughs) And this is their response. If he's crazy enough to do this, I want to see what his church is like. (laughs) No lie. I promise it's happened. And I'm not even good at it. I'm just acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for I have an outlet for my stress in life. And so I get to go to the gym. But even there, God says, I'm going to use that stick that's in your hand. And I'm going to bring people into the body of Christ. And this couple has came in and since joined the church. And they have the ability to cook. And so they've now signed up to be a part of the feeding program. So when somebody passes away or somebody has a baby or a hospital thing happens, they're now involved in feeding people. Now they're getting to use their gift and talent because they are acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for what God has given unto them. Do you see how this works? So it's not about something that's unnatural to you. It's about the stick that's in your hand. It's about what God has called you to do. Your stick, when you got born again, became the staff of God and the tool God wants to use to change the world. Before I was born again, working out was working out. God couldn't touch it. He couldn't use it. He couldn't anoint it because I wasn't in covenant with him. Now that I'm born again, my workout program became the God's workout program because I can't just go there and not be who I am. So as I'm there doing it, God God's going to anoint me while I'm there to minister to the people around me. Do you understand the concept of stewardship? It's not money. It's everything that's in your possession. And no, I'm not going to leave the kicker till the end and say, okay, now that we've talked about everything else, we're going to talk about money. We're going to go into a building program, so grab your wallet. I'm not even doing that. So some of y'all are waiting for the other shoe to fall. It's not going to fall, so listen to what I'm saying right now. Stewardship is about everything that's in your possession, not something that you might think I would like to give to God. No, God is the owner of all. And when you got born again, everything that you have now belongs to him. And so you may be anointed to drive a car. And it doesn't have to be a nice one. But listen, it's God's car. And he may need you to pick somebody up and bring him to church. Because another thing it always says is, I would love to go to church, but I ain't walking in there by myself. (laughs) Well, you don't got to. Go pick somebody up. Go drive by somebody's house. Grab them. Because literally when you drove to church this morning, one out of every four households was headed to church. That means 75% of the world is not driving to church this Sunday morning. Your stewardship abilities are huge in the body of Christ. Stewardship over the simple becomes the source of the miraculous. Exceedingly grateful. Stewardship over the simple becomes a source for the miraculous to happen. Some of you guys are sitting here thinking, oh God, I would love to do this, but you're still making excuses. We're just like Moses. God, I would love to, but I can't talk really good. So Moses brought somebody alongside him to talk for him. God, I would love to, but all I got is this stick. Throw it on the ground, and it's going to become a snake. And then he grabs this, and now the staff of God. God's going to begin to eliminate all your excuses because the very simple things of your life are a catalyst or a source for the miraculous to begin to occur in your life. Get this part of scripture, what the Bible talks about. A little bit later, after he led them out of Egypt, they were going through the wilderness. Exodus 14, 15 says, God's telling Moses this. It says, lift up your staff, the staff of God, and stretch it out over the sea and divide it that all the people of Israel may go through the sea 
on dry ground. But God, it's a stick. When it's anointed by God, it doesn't matter what it is. It's going to do it for his kingdom. When it's anointed by God, it doesn't matter how insignificant it seems. It's a stick. God said, good, see that stick? I don't care what it is. Stretch it out over the sea and watch the waters divide and everybody's going to go through on dry ground. Some of y'all think God can do that with a pie? And I love the worship set this morning because if you didn't get the theme, everything about God and we sang about this morning was his greatness. It was all about his greatness, how great is our God, the greatness of our God, and everything with it. And if God can divide a sea with a staff and a stick and a guy who can't really talk good with two million some people following him and divide a sea with a stick, why can't he do something with your chocolate pie with fresh made meringue on top and you tell what kind of pie I like? If God can do something with a stick and divide something like the Red Sea, why can't he do something with a pie? Why can't he do something with a 5K that you're organizing? Why can't he do something with the workplace coffee pot that you leave a note on that says, today is the greatest day of your life? Signed, God. Why can't he do something like that? See, the problem is the God we read about in the Bible, you don't really believe he's that relevant of God to your life today. That's why we talk ourselves out of doing the things God says do because we think, God, that's just silly. I don't care how silly it is. If God's, if God's anointing is on it, something amazing is going to happen. I am sure Moses, when he came up to the Red Sea, was not thinking, God, use this stick. He's saying, God, make Noah reappear with the ark. Are you kidding me? There's a sea here, God. And what if Moses would have put that staff, the staff of God, down and said, God, we got to have a conversation for a minute. This is kind of silly, God. All these people are going to laugh if I just start stretching out and say, water divide. Does this sound familiar in your workplace or your life when God tells you to do something? God, the person's going to look at me really silly when I pull over and ask them if they really do need help when they're on the side of the road. Are you kidding me? Then they're going to say no, and then I'm going to look like even sillier. Or God, this person at work that, that looks like they're having a bad day, they don't even like me. And if I go talk to them, listen, nobody liked Moses either. Read the Bible. They didn't like Moses. They kept arguing against him. Moses even said, God, these are your people. <laughs> I'm done with them. We'll get to that point in a minute. It's, it's, it's in my message. Now listen to this. Quit arguing about how silly you think it is. God always uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's always done it. Read 1 Corinthians. It says that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That's why God chose a man who couldn't talk with a stick to lead his people out of Egypt. That's why God chooses a woman who can bake pies or a man who can bake pies that doesn't really want to and is embarrassed of it and is like, pies aren't going to do nothing for the kingdom of God. They'll sure make somebody feel good. And sometimes that's all a person really needs because the greatest miracle that can ever take place is not the dividing of the sea, but bringing somebody into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I've seen that happen through a bunch of silly circumstances, but people are getting born again. If you want to know how this church got here, God used the things of the world to confound the wise. How we're even here today. And it's by the silly things, the little things, the simple things that God anointed and amazing things happened. And God's got a church here today. So I want you to understand that the simple things become a source for the miraculous. Finally, this stewardship is this. Stewardship is for giving life to somebody else who doesn't have it. And it doesn't matter what kind of life that may be, okay? Do you remember when God came to Moses? What did he say to Moses? What is this in your, what did Moses say? A stick, a staff. And God said, good, throw it on the ground. I'm going to pick it up again. I'm going to anoint it. And now it's called the what? Staff of God. Then we just found out that the staff of God, the simple things are a source for miraculous. But more so than a source for the miraculous is this. The simple things of the life that you are steward over are a source for giving life to someone else. They are a source for giving life to someone else. Listen to this verse of scripture in Exodus chapter number 17. 
And if you read Exodus chapter 17, verse 4, 5, and 6, if you read verse 4, this is where Moses comes to God and said, God, these people are arguing with me. They're your people. Get them away. I'm tired of it. Okay, then this is what he goes. They're arguing because they had no water. And this is what he says. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and all the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He struck the rock with the staff that God gave him to give life for everybody who was with him. Now understand, they are wandering through a desert. Deserts are hot. Why are deserts desert? Because there's no water. See, if you can answer that question, God can use you. I mean, he had to ask Moses a simpler question. Moses, what's in your hand? Uh, duh. So if you know why a desert's a desert, because there's no water, I mean, God can use you. And so they're wandering through this desert. They are literally dying of thirst. And the people have gotten so mad because they're so thirsty, they're about to overthrow Moses. I mean, they're about to kill this guy. And Moses understands that they're grumbling and arguing against him. And Moses comes up to God and says, God, you got to do something. These people of yours are about to get on my nerves. I've led them all through the Red Sea. I've brought them out there. I saved their life. And they are still arguing. I'm tired of it, God. That's what he's saying. Some of y'all are thinking the same thing. God, I go here to work day after day after day after day. And these people still are getting on my nerves. I'm tired of it, God. God says, use the stick in your hand, the staff in your hand, and use it to give life to the people who came in. Use it to give life. What did he say? He said, strike the rock with the staff of God, and water's going to flow and give life. And the amazing thing is, is Moses, as silly as it sounded, went up to a rock. Are you kidding me? Can you picture this? Us in leadership, and if you, if you own a business or you're a manager, that story right there, if I were to bring that to my leadership and elders, they'd say, Pastor, we're with you, but I'm sure they'd be scratching their heads and say, we've got to have an elders meeting as soon as we get out of here. I think he's lost it. <laughs> And if I said, I'm fixing to go up to a rock, and I'm going to strike it with this stick, and water's going to come out of a rock, some of y'all would say, I'm going to watch this fire, and I'm just going to watch it burn all the way to the ground. So Moses walks up to this rock, and he says, bam, and he strikes it. And water comes forth, and everybody drinks freely from, get this, it is not just water anymore, it's the water of life, because without it, they wouldn't have had life. The amazing thing about this is this. Sometimes you're sitting here thinking, God can do nothing with me. God cannot use me. God, I have no abilities. I don't have any talents. What is the one thing you like to do? Listen, you may not even be good at it. What is the one thing you like to do? If it's the one thing you like to do, this is what you're called to do with it. If it's the one thing you like to do, you are called to give it to God. You're called to ask God to hold on to it and say, God, anoint this. Now, some of y'all who like to cook, and I keep going back to cooking for some reason. I always, my mind is always on food, okay? Some of y'all are thinking, God, I, I like to cook. I'm just not good at it yet. You're good at some part of it or you wouldn't like to do it at all. There may be one little part of cooking that you're really good at or you wouldn't like to do it at all. People who aren't any good at any part of exercise and don't like to do it, they don't even show up to the gym. I mean, I'm not great at anything, but I'm good at some things. That's why I like to do it. And the one little thing I am good at gives me courage to keep doing the things I'm not good at. It doesn't matter what you do. The one little thing that you're good at that you enjoy doing could be the catalyst for the miraculous. How many of you men out there love to play golf? You're not good at it. You just like to play it. None of us are good at it because none of us are on the PGA Tour, okay? I mean, I'm not good at it. But what if some of you men who like to play golf see some of these single moms in here that have sons that need a father figure just say, listen, I'm not any good at golf, but I'm willing to take your son on the golf course with me for about three hours tomorrow to give you a break, to give him some much-needed time with a father figure. And I can't promise I'll do it every day. I can't even promise I'll do it ever again. But if you want me to just this one time, I'll take him out and I'll spend some time with him. Can't say he's going to come back and be a great golfer. Can't say he's going to come back and do miracles. But I promise this, he won't die. 
and I'll bring him back before dark. And that's all you can promise. Do you understand how revolutionary that is? For some of these single moms out there who are praying for a God-fearing husband that'll take their son golfing and teach him the ways, and you as a husband or you as a father or you as a grandfather who have nothing to do but have time abundant can just take a boy golfing, and when you take him golfing, you just give him a good time. You don't care how many times he swings. Man, give him 15 mulligans. Who cares? You're not changing the little boy's life. You're changing the mom's life too. Because the minute she feels important again as a single mom, something changes. But the problem with our culture today is we like to just say, oh, single moms, but I know there's a ton of single dads out there. I know there's a ton of single dads trying to do it right, trying to be right. And you got a little girl that you don't have a clue how to raise a girl. There's a bunch of single dads out there, but there's a bunch of moms in here who are great at raising girls. And with all these single dads out there that don't even come to this church but are lost and they can't even get their little girl up and bring her to church because they can't fix her hair. I've heard single dads tell me this. I don't bring my little girl to church because I don't know how to fix her hair and she gets laughed at at school so I will not let her be laughed at at church. So I don't come. Do you understand the profoundness that you can say, I will swing by your house 30 minutes before Sunday school starts. And I will fix her hair. You have her dressed and breakfast. I will fix her hair. Or get here 15 minutes and I'll bring her into the women's room. I will fix her hair so she can come. Nobody has to be a hairstylist in here. But every female in here knows how you want your hair to look on Sunday morning. And if we have single dads who won't bring their little girls to church because their hair can't look good and their little girl's going to get made fun of at school and so they won't bring her to church because they're not going to let her experience that twice. They have no choice but to send her to school. They have a choice to come to church. Do you understand the profoundness of what I'm talking about? The simple things you are steward over is the life-giving flow that God has put in your life. Moses was called to go strike a rock with a stick and water began to flow. Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation, the foundation, the chief cornerstone of our life, was one time in his life struck with a stick called the cross of Calvary. It became a catalyst. It became the source it became everything for our salvation because the minute he was struck with that stick, the Bible says when he was pierced in his side, blood and water flowed. And when blood flowed, it was for your justification. When water flowed, it was for your sanctification to be set apart for the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Moses struck the rock with the stick and water burst forth, God was still saying, you are set apart. You are my chosen nation. You are my people. The simple things of your life that if you will be acutely aware of and exceedingly grateful for, God will use it to change the whole world. Give yourself a hand clap this morning because you've got little things in your life that you can use. He wants to use it. I know we got people in this church who love to do a number of things. I know we got some people who love to ride motorcycles in this church. We got some gun lovers in this church. And everybody says amen. <laughs> we got some ATV riders in this church who like to ride four-wheelers. We got people who can cook. We got people who can clean. We got people who can do anything that they want to put their mind to, they can do it. But because you do not think it is important to the gospel, you said, I can't use that in church. But you are completely 100% wrong because God wouldn't have put a passion for it in your life if he did not intend on using it for a kingdom advancement at a point in your life. I know we have people in here who love playing basketball all through their high school career. Now they're high school coaches imparting into people's lives. The basketball was just a thing that they thought, well, I could use it someday, but God said, I'm going to anoint it. I'm going to make you impart into people lives and change lives can i tell you this morning stewardship is this it's simply looking around not at what everybody else has but when you go when you walk in your house today and you look at your own hands and say god what have you placed under my care custody and control that i have not been using for your kingdom 